everyone, and welcome to The Geek Rant, episode 277, Practically Principled, recorded March 18th, 2017, and brought to you by Element Opie, elementopie.com. My name is Mark. See, Seth, you messed me up. You meant to do that. I know you did. I wondered why Miles brought it up. I didn't get it. <laughs> I was hoping. I was just hoping because you all you you get confused if you try to differentiate from the screen. So I was hoping you would just read it, not realizing it, and I was going to work it into the show. Uh, but anyway, for for those of you trying to follow along at home, what I typed was brought to you by Brondo, the Thirst Mutilator, because I sat down and watched Idiocracy from beginning to end. The other time I watched it, I'd missed like the first five or ten minutes. So this is the first time I saw it all the way through. And well, you know, it kind of it kind of is like a virus. It gets in there a little bit at first, and you don't notice. But then as it replicates and grows, all of a sudden the symptoms are there. And so yes, we're referencing Idiocracy um, at least in our show right. notes, if nowhere else in the show. So uh, yeah, I, I think I mentioned recently that I watched that. Uh, anyway, my name is Mark, sometimes known as the Sultan of the Soapbox, and this is the show where we rant and we're geeks. And this is the Geek Rant Podcast. And that guy you just heard from is Seth, sometimes called the Gooey Kid, uh, and by sometimes I mean pretty much only once a week when I mention him on the show. And the other guy you heard giggling, that's Miles, who I call the Aussie Janeer. Why? Because I like it. Uh, wake him. Hey, guys. Aloha. I'm going to plead the fifth. That's all I'm going to say. So we can, uh, <laughs> we, we don't even pretend to be professionals on the internet, um, and we're certainly not here. So uh, I could go back. I could re-record that, but uh, meh, I'm you just better not. Um, chat room says, is there a problem with the YouTube stream? Not that I know of, but I can't see it. So I just have to... Uh trust you on that um man you get what you pay yeah. for with youtube um i'm you know so how would i check that out like i've, I've never tried the youtube live you could go to com slash live i try to make it complicated uh anyway <laughs> while seth is checking that out um uh <laughs> we have a rather long media report i, I don't know why i called it that. i just Thought I'd call it that. Uh, for some reason, this was a media weekend for me. Sometimes I, I I don't watch anything. Sometimes I watch lots of things. And this week, uh, this weekend, I got to watch lots of neat stuff uh, or over the last few days. So I, I'm going to tell you about it because I have the microphone and you don't. Uh, so first, um, after uh, rave reviews from I, I have not heard anybody say anything bad about this movie, uh, which is so rare because I live in the world of the Internet where everybody says something bad about everything. Um, and so my wife and I went to see, um, Logan last night and it was an excellent movie. I, I just have to say it was really outstanding. Um, I, you know, no, no spoilers or anything like that. It is much, uh, uh, what's the guy with the red mask? Deadpool showed the world that a rated R, um, comic book movie could make money. And so the Logan folks went all out. It's full on rated R. Um, one of the first lines Charles Xavier says in the movie is F you Logan. And it took me off guard because I've never heard Patrick Stewart say that word ever. I mean, in all the years that Patrick Stewart has been in my life, I've never heard him say that word. Maybe he has in other, other movies, uh, in interviews or whatever, but I've never heard it. And so it was like, wow, Patrick Stewart just used the F bomb. 
Um, and so that sort of sets the tone for the whole movie. There's lots of blood, lots of gore. Uh, there's even boobs. The first Marvel movie, uh, again, not counting uh, Deadpool, where there were boobs in it. Uh, so it was a much more adult movie. And uh, it didn't bother me, honestly. I mean, again, I'm an adult. I, I can accept that. But it, none of it was super gratuitous. None of it didn't belong. Um, and I just really enjoyed it. Not only that, it was a great movie. It was a movie about family and about love and about sacrificing for, for those, uh, who you care about. It was, it was the story of, uh, you know, caring for an ailing aged parent. Uh, the, all of those things were in there. It was really, it was a story about movie. Uh, I mean, about family and the family just happened to be a family of mutants. Uh, really good. Super enjoyed it. I recommend it. Yeah, I, yeah, I talked about it a lot last week, but you really can't tell a good Wolverine story and not be rated R. So that's just the nature of the character. Um, and so my, they did it right. And, you know, I'm not necessarily, I don't like violence for violence sake, but this is a very violent movie, but it is so integral to the story both this particular film and to the logos mythos of Logan as Wolverine as well, that it totally fits. Yeah. Uh, so I, that's all I'm going to say about that. Uh, now, unfortunately I don't have such glowing words about uh, Marvel's uh, fourth uh, of Netflix offering in the form of iron fist. Um, I guess it's third. If you count daredevil as two uh, is not as two, but as one, No, it would be fourth. Yeah. Uh, Jessica, oh, yeah, Luke, and yeah. him. Um, the, the my one syllable review of the Iron Fist is meh. Uh, I'm I'm only three episodes in, uh, so maybe it may get better. the The thing that I loved most about Daredevil, uh, the thing that made it what I think some of the best television I've ever seen, bar none, was completely missing in the first three episodes of iron fist characters you care about and outstanding fight choreography both of those are completely missing in the iron fist um the first fight was so obviously fake um it just doesn't i mean it's not even it's not even power rangers quality it's just not good fight choreography and after three episodes i don't care about any of the characters man that is so disheartening because Iron Fist, I mean, is a martial arts expert. Much, you know, Daredevil is just somebody who's learned to fight. I mean, yeah, he had some training, but he's a freaking like master. And so to, that they've done that, part of it, I know, I haven't seen it yet. I want to, um, is that, you know, Daredevil, they had everybody did it. And so now all of these things are coming out too soon for them not to have some overlap of production. And I know, you know, you weaken the pool contributing, you get a weaker result. And unfortunately, from what you're saying, it seems to have showed. But like I say, I still want to see it. Yeah, I, all I can say is uh, the I, I think the the real magic of Daredevil was the main character wore a mask so you can put the stuntman in there and you don't have to have the actor doing the work uh in this case uh, uh i can't even remember his name danny rand uh doesn't wear a mask uh at any point or at least not so far and so you have to have the actor doing the stuff and when you have an actor fighting you look like a guy who's an actor fighting uh it doesn't matter how good the stuntman is the actor isn't a fighter um 
and it really uh, it just uh, and also the style i mean uh, uh, no spoilers but um he mentions early on and i think maybe the second or even uh, early in the first episode that uh, his style is all about um being light it's not a lot of force it's about uh being uh, uh moving uh delicately and, and using the force within instead of exerting great force without and because of that the style that they've chosen to choreograph is one of him just lightly appearing to lightly touch people and and almost uh lazily move out of the way of punches now he's lazily moving but it's very quick so what you get is an actor portraying a lazy move and an edit that's supposed to make it look quick and it just looks hackneyed and uh as a as a guy who's been watching you know uh, kung fu movies since I was five, um, I I know a good fight scene when I see it, and I know a bad fight scene when I see it. And these this is mediocre at best. I mean it's it's uh, I w- I long for Jackie Chan when I watch these, which is a shame because in the comics Iron Fist wore a mask, so you know you would think I mean that they would be staying truer to the comics if he had a mask on. Um, and maybe that comes later. Like I said, I'm only three episodes in. Miles, any of this ring a bell to you? No, nothing. You don't. Care. No, not that. But I, I hear what you're saying about the kung fu thing. I watched a couple of documentaries on YouTube about Shaolin monks and the training that they do for fighting. And it's exactly what you said. It, it's that chi thing where they build up that inner strength right. into a single point, and that's where they dispatch from. And if that if that's authentic in terms of their training and they don't portray it well in film, it's really obvious. Yeah. I mean, I anyway, uh that's all I'm going to say about that. Uh I did also watch the uh the remake of Peach Dragon. Uh it it was on Netflix this week. Uh not anything even remotely like the, you know, the 1978 or whatever it was Peach Dragon, which I loved uh and my kids love. Uh, but this was very enjoyable. It's just a completely separate movie. Happens to be a dragon named Elliot and a kid named Pete. That's that's it. Those are the only two similarities about anything else. Um, but it's a fine movie as it is, and I really think um, that's the way to do a remake. You 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 pay homage to the original, uh, and you go off and do your own thing, or you do a shot for shot remake. You can either remake or you can reboot. Um, and you know, the, the people try to walk that line sometimes. Uh, I like the way the Star Trek, uh, did it. For example, they did a complete reboot and, and complete with dialogue that says, whatever you think may have happened in the past, no longer is a, it's a thing. And so they just rewrote all the rules. Um, and this was an enjoyable movie. My kids liked it. I liked it. Um, you know, it's on a scale of 10, it's a, it's a six and a half, you know, it's, it's not drop everything and watch it, but it's, it's fine to have on in the background and you're not going to. Uh, regret letting your kids watch it either of you have you either of you seen it not me i have not but it was one i wanted to see yeah. um and the the drawing of the animation of the dragon is unlike any dragon i've ever seen uh it really looks more like a cat with wings um i, I thought that was unique um i liked it um for no particular reason actually there is a reason but i'm not at liberty to say what it is because it involves a friend of mine um my family watched nacho libre uh not new not not good but fun uh, bad in the fun way um if you haven't seen nacho libre one of jack black's earlier works you know uh, you, it makes you walk around and say sometimes when you're a man you like to wear stretchy <laughs> pants just for fun um it's a brilliant social statement. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
and also I wanted to follow up a little bit on Legion. Miles, I think you brought it to our attention. Um, I may be one episode behind. I think they've got they've aired six. I've I've seen five of them. Five episodes in, I still can't decide if I like it. But I'm only on episode. I just finished one. Yeah. I haven't even gotten to two yet. And but I'm I'm <laughs> wanting to go watch episode six. So I still don't know if I like it, but I want to see more of it. Um, what did you What did you think of the direction and the production of it? Though it was pretty well done, right? See, they can't disappoint me in this because I don't know the character at all. Um, so there's no way that they they can not live up to my expectations because I had no expectations. But this is bizarre, Stanley Kubrick clockwork clockwork orange kind of weird, but it's masterfully done weird, absolutely mm. bizarro world. Uh, but the 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 filming of it, the cinematography, the the lighting, the coloring, um, it's so well done. You you can't. I mean, like I said, I'm five episodes in this, and I can't put a time on it. Um, the cars are, you know, fifties vintage. The music is sixties vintage, but they have like um, uh, futuristic technology. But it's a it's a, like a steampunk. So it's it's this guy on a typewriter with a see through, you know, hologram screen. They 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 don't give you any time markers to work with even the clothes uh you might see a guy in 60s attire and a guy in a 1980s uh, um jogging suit and a guy in a 1990s business suit all in the same scene so you can't even pick where it is and so things like that really uh they these aren't those these things don't happen by accident these were stylistic choices and that's what i'm really drawn into and just the the storyline is so bizarre you you don't know what's real or not because the characters in there don't know what's real or not. they even they have conversations about we don't know if this is real or not and so uh at, there's no you know third person omniscient there's no knowing anything um and there's like one of the one of the episodes um there's a running monologue throughout like narration but you don't know who's narrating it or how they know what they know. It's just, it's so, it's such weird, uh, but I'm enjoying the weirdness. I, I don't know if I'm liking it, but I'm wanting to go back. You know what I mean? Sometimes something can be good, but not enjoyable. Um, maybe, maybe they're trying to do what they did in Mr. Robot, where the actual story is this kind of insane perception by the key character, and you're sort of drawn into the whole fact that he was in an insane asylum to begin with. Maybe he never leaves it. <laughs> Maybe this is all fictional in his head. In his head. I don't know. Uh, I, 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 you know, that's a possibility based actually on, on one of the episodes that I just watched because they kind of come full circle back to there. Um, so yeah, all, all of these, everything is all, all possible and every answer is two more questions. So uh, it's, it's really good, uh, but I don't know if I like it. Uh, you know, uh, uh, did you see the tank movie Fury? Brad Pitt, Shia LaBeouf. No, no. Yes. You, okay, one did, one didn't. Um, that was a good movie that was not enjoyable. After I left there, I felt like somebody had kicked me in the balls for two and a half hours. Um, yeah, I, I, I felt bad about the world, but it was a good movie. So you know, something can be good but not enjoyable, and something can be enjoyable but not good. Guardians of the Galaxy is a great example of that. Not a good movie, but a fun movie. You enjoy it. Um, so I, I haven't quite figured out where Legion is. Is it enjoyable? I don't really know yet, but it's definitely good. You know, Miles, you mentioned the insane asylum. Have y'all seen 
that ba- it's like a fan theory from Batman that Bruce Wayne is actually in the insane asylum and like Harley Quinn's the doctor trying to help him jokers and orderly and all this kind of stuff. And and you watch that and then you think back and you go, Oh my gosh, maybe it's all in <laughs> Bruce Wayne's head. So, um, and it's, you know, and that's why Batman is, is such a, is such an awesome person because he's insane and making himself that way. Yeah. I mean, anytime you've got a superhero like that, it lends itself to the possibility that uh, he's too super for reality. Right. So, Seth, that's my media exploits this week. What about yours? You have quite a few listed here as well. Okay. Well, mine is not so much new stuff, but catching up on some old things. I just recently watched, actually, it was last night, Arrival with um amy adams and the hawkeye guy i can't remember his name have either of y'all seen it's on my list but i haven't seen it yet no i haven't seen it yet yeah it is it's a science fiction movie that it kind of makes you think so you know it's not like a a blow stuff up the aliens are here and we're gonna use a crappy macbook to upload a virus and save the world but it's you have to you have to think and it's like the scientists are kind of trying to communicate with the aliens and it turned out to be a really good movie the way it starts out you don't realize the plot twist that the plot twists that are going to happen. I mean, you can kind of pick up on it later as you go through the movie, but it, it was neat. It was a novel approach that I haven't seen a lot. It is based on a short story that I really want to read now, but I thought it was really good. I highly recommend the arrival. Um, is I don't know, you know, like where Mark is super big on the production quality of the movie. I mean, it wasn't poorly done, but it's, it's a, it's a riveting story that kept me interested all the way throughout. So really good science fiction because it uses the science fiction to tell a human story. It's not about trying to dazzle you with special effects. And I think that's some of the best ways to do science fiction. I'm looking forward to seeing it. It's in my Netflix queue. I just missed it in the theaters. Yeah, um, same here. Uh, and the next one I want to talk about is the age of Adeline. Guys, I think if you want to score points with the chick person of your choice, watch this movie with them because um, Blake Lively plays this person who can't age. And so, you know, she's a, in the every so often she has to abandon her life and start over. And some things happen right when she's about to abandon her life. And it was this was another I think this was a good movie. You know, not a lot of action. This is a very character development movie. Really good. The one thing I didn't like about it, and I, I mean, I won't do a spoiler, but the very end of the last scene was mega Hollywood happy ending that kind of all of this intelligence we demand of you from the film. We totally just, who cares? We're Hollywood, you know, Snow White, happily ever after, didn't need just cut out the last five seconds of the movie, and the movie would have been much better. Highly recommend Age of Adeline for guys. If you want to, you know, if your girlfriend wants to watch a chick flick, try to g- give this one a try. And I, there's enough substance there to keep you interested. Really good, I think. Yeah, I, I haven't even have, heard about it. So really, 
it's a uh, you know like um mark you get barbie to watch thor because it's chris hamesworth um you know right, and sometimes with his shirt off well guys this has blake lively in it so you know it, it's one of those quid pro quo if you want her to watch marvel movies with you you need to watch this with her uh but good character development good story um again a novel take that um just turned out really good i was glad i saw it wish the last like five seconds weren't there uh it, the movie i think would have been better without it so um the next one something near and dear to my heart but i know these guys are just gonna groan but dragon ball super i watch it on Crunchyroll. freaking awesome if you like any of the dragon ball stuff like i paid movie I paid money to go to the movie theater to see um, the resurrection of Frieza because I love this franchise. But Dragon Ball Super brings back original Dragon Ball characters as well as Dragon Ball Z characters. And it's a lot of fun to go through and watch. And I watch on Crunchyroll. It's um, the original Japanese that is subtitled. And it adds a lot more depth than the English versions that air around America. So if you want to watch an anime, give Dragon Ball a Super a try. And uh, it's one of the ones that's available for free on Crunchyroll. I kind of like the way I like their format. It's it's sort of like you're watching it on TV with the free version. There's commercial breaks throughout. I don't like the fact that they're flash based and kind of screw up your computer. But you know, you can sign up for a paid thing and get this and a bunch of other shows ad free. So Dragon Ball Super, I think is really good. And, um, I think we all have Amazon prime Goliath is Billy Bob Thornton being a washed up has been something he excels at. <laughs> I just watch, I mean, he, he does it great. He plays the, and you know, I just watched the first one, not kid friendly. Um, there's, you know, some adult situations, lots of language. Um, if there were boobs, I missed them. So normally I normally my eyes catch those. So I, I don't think there was any nudity, but adult situations, uh, some stuff is graphically portrayed, but they don't show it, but you know exactly what you're seeing. And of course, lots of language, but, uh, Goliath seems to be, pretty good from uh, Amazon. It's one of their um, Amazon originals. Uh, give it a shot. Again, not something to watch with your kids. Okay. With Billy Bob Thornton. Something not to watch with your kids. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, because a lot of a lot of the things we talk about are family-friendly stuff, and so I don't want somebody to say, oh, hey, the guy said watch this, and you got your little six-year-old and you're watching popcorn, and they just start cussing up yeah. a storm, and, you know, you, you've been warmed. So. so my 14-year-old drops a bomb on me this week, just in casual conversation, that she's watched the entire first season of Stranger Things in her room on her phone on Netflix. Um, and I, I, I'm like, I, I don't know whether to be mad at you or not, because, you know, that's that's adult material there, um, but more than anything, I'd have watched it with you. If I'd known you <laughs> wanted to watch it, we could have had a, a daddy-daughter moment there. Um, I, I didn't. I didn't watch it because thrillers, horror—it's just not my thing. Uh, it didn't uh, uh, appeal to me at all. I've heard great uh, things about it, uh, but I don't. It, it, she just kind of dropped out of nowhere, and she thought, "I thought you were going to be mad at me." It's like, well. I mean, you're you're 14. It's it's time for you to start moving on and making some decisions like that on your own. Um, and it's you know it's PG 13 type material. I'm not mad at the choice that you made. I'm a little mad that you didn't tell me about it. Uh, but who knew? Stranger Things. Um, 
is is something that 14 year olds enjoy <laughs> uh which one is that i don't that's a amazon it. original uh it's a uh 1980s horror uh uh series i guess is the word for it, it takes place in 1980s uh with uh i'm blanking on the actress's name uh, a 1980s actress uh and it's sat in the 80s and it's supposed to be you know very period true um but you know not in that uh shocky uh way but in a way that loves the the period and the genre um hmm. anyway it, it got it was all the rage there for a while i i don't i'm I, I the name sounds familiar but i just i can't recall anything about it yeah. Well, you you don't have uh, Netflix right now, and it just came out a few months ago, so you hadn't seen it. Oh, is it Netflix? Netflix. I thought you said Amazon. I'm sorry, it is Netflix. So. My my mistake. Okay. Ah, I got I got a movie I can throw in there in the mix that we saw. Um, you guys seen Lion? Uh, no, doesn't ring no? a bell. Uh, I would give it an eight out of ten, maybe even a nine. It's pretty good. It's got nothing to do with lions. What is it? <laughs> it's, it it's it's about this kid who is uh, in India, you know, in this kind of slummy, bad village. Oh, yeah, I remember hearing about that. Yeah, it's a true story. Um, he's five years old. He gets lost, ends up on a train somewhere, lost from his family in, you know, a country of 1.3 billion people, ends up somewhere in Calcutta. Um, and it's his journey trying to survive as a kid and eventually gets brought into an orphanage and I don't want to go too far and spoil it for people, but he ends up getting adopted by a family out of Australia and he gets moved to Australia at the age of five. And then the sort of the story picks up when he's 20 something uh, and he decides he wants to go back and try and find his family 20 years later. And it's a good story. It's a really good story. It's uh, it's a story everyone can kind of get something out of. It's a feel good story. Uh, Nicole Kidman's in it. Um, and the rest of the actors I've never seen before. But for the most part, it's pretty authentic. Um, Is it Nicole but, Kidman using her real accent for the first time ever on film? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she actually plays the adoptive mother uh, in Australia, which, uh, I yeah, it, it's pretty authentic. I mean, it was filmed <laughs> there, and it was it was good. But uh, if you, did you guys ever see a movie a while back, a while back, years, probably 10 years ago, called Lost in Translation? Doesn't ring a bell. It, I know what you, it's um, Billy or Bill, Bill Murray. Bill Murray. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was actually filmed by, I think, Martin Scorsese's daughter. She directed it. It was one of her first produ- uh, first direction efforts. What, what happened in that movie, which is astonishing, is that they, it was set in Tokyo and they made the city of Tokyo an actor in the movie. Like it, it was weird, but you felt like Tokyo was one of the leading actors in a movie set in Tokyo. And that's exactly what they did with Lion with India. India and its its cities and its villages and its railway systems and its and its slums and everything are is is an actor in this movie. And it's really it's it's what we're seeing. I, I definitely recommend it. If you get a chance, check it out. All right. Um I didn't intend to spend thirty minutes talking about uh movies but i don't apologize for that either it's it's kind of what we do around here uh i did want to give a brief uh introduction to not a not a review of because i haven't had it long enough but uh late friday night i installed 
uh, three Google Wi-Fi units in my house. I, I took the plunge. I spent the 300 bucks um, because I was tired of having crappy Wi-Fi in my home. Uh, I was tired of not being able to communicate with the computer literally 18 inches from me. Um, and I, I just, I'm, I'm over it. Uh, and I'm hoping that Google Wi-Fi is going to fix this. Uh, so just a quick overview. Uh, it's, it's harder to set up than it should be. Um, something the documentation doesn't really tell you, uh, is you can put the, the things throughout wherever you want it to be and you can, they can backhaul over ethernet. So you can have them so far away that they're out of range of one another and they'll mesh together over ethernet, but you can't set them up that way. They have to be set up within Wi-Fi range of each other. So you have to, hmm. do, you have to, to pair them as it were. And then in the app, um, it, uh, won't show you. That you you only configure them with a phone app. You don't configure them with a web interface or anything like that. So you you have to download the phone app, and that's how you configure them. And the app only shows you the wireless. So uh, they're working perfectly well, too far out of range in my house to communicate wirelessly with one another. They're they're using the the, the gigabit Ethernet backbone in my house, but the app says that they can't talk to each other um, because it's only looking at the wireless part. Um, in fact, early on when I first installed it, that wasn't the case. Uh, and then it did an update and then the update broke it. Um, welcome to Google. Uh, that, that's really, I'm going to, all I have to say about it right now, I was going to do a quick, um, you know, review of it, uh, right now and tell you what my, my, what my bandwidth speeds are. But, uh, uh, ironically, I can't connect to the Wi-Fi uh, <laughs> right now. Um, it, it's new to me anyway. Uh, they've been around for, six or eight months uh so it's not it's not entirely new but it's new to me i've just got it set up and i've, I've, I've still got some tweaking to do um but my overall reaction is is positive uh i'm getting uh i, I pay for 100 megabits uh um cable internet connection hardwired i routinely get 98 99 uh wi-fi of course just the the vagaries of wi-fi itself I never get that much, but, uh, you know, on my phone using the, the 5g, uh, connectivity, uh, I'm routinely getting, uh, 70, 80, 80 megabit downloads everywhere in my house and out in my yard as well. So that's way better than I was getting. And I didn't have cheap gear before, but it wasn't mesh gear. It was three independent wireless access points back channeled together and they were stepping on each other and canceling each other out and just you know in general not working like they were supposed to um your phone can't decide which one it wants to jump to uh it's trying to hang on to the lowest signal in a truly mesh network it presents as a single mac address so your phone doesn't know that it's not connecting to a different uh, that it's not connecting to you know the same access point so in that thing i i just that feature alone i think is going to make it worthwhile uh, but is it worth $300? I don't know yet, but right now that's the cheapest of all of them. If you go Eero or something like that, you're looking at uh, $500 for a set of three. Um, so hmm. anyway, that, that's my initial review. Any questions or comments? I'm curious to see what you get out of that because I'm, I'm trying to replace two Wi-Fi adapters in our house. We've got one on one side and one on the other, and they're both just routinely locking up. Yeah. I mean, no reason at all. They're just, Two days, you know, 48, 72 hours, lock it up, going to reset it. I'm just getting sick of it. So I went and bought a replacement for one of them. I haven't installed it yet, but I'll, I'll get to that. But if this works for you, let me know. I'll, I'm all over it. Yeah, and I don't have enough 
pipe on the other side of my router to even worry about junk like that. My one router could handle probably 20 devices. Well, you know, I've got a I've got a fairly large house. Uh, it's uh, about twenty nine hundred square feet, uh, counting the basement and everything. Uh, I'm I'm sitting right now in a room above the garage, uh, and then there's the you know the 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 downstairs level and then the basement level. And I, I just have never in since I've been in this house been able to get consistent. Uh, wi-fi connection no matter what i did no matter how many access points i threw around no matter how i configured them and uh for the most part uh at this right very moment notwithstanding i can't seem to get a wireless connection but for the most part since i uh connected this uh friday evening or saturday yeah friday evening i haven't i have not had any blackouts uh so i'm wondering what's going on right now um saying network communication issues that's which is weird let me try let me try I was using the Ookla app, Ookla, Ookla, you know, mm-hmm. speedtest.net. Um, let me see what happens if I just go to um, Netflix's fast.com um, and see what I get. Anyway, while we're going there, uh, <laughs> Miles, you have some interesting, did you actually see this or was this just a yeah. new story? Oh, that's no, cool. No, 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 I saw it. Okay, so I, a, a friend of mine was in town uh, from the East Coast avoiding the blizzard. And uh, we decided we'd go get some barbecue for lunch. So I went and picked him up, and he lives in Tempe, or he's staying in Tempe. So uh, Tempe is a suburb city in Arizona, in Phoenix. Anyway, uh, I'm down there. I pick him up. We get in the car. We're driving to this barbecue place to get some, some food. I get to the traffic lights. I stop, and what turns up next to me is somebody in one of those driverless Uber cars. Apparently, Tempe is doing a trial on these things, and it's you know it's got that spinning thing on the roof that you see on the TV. LIDAR. Google yeah. is that what it is? Yeah, yeah. it looks yeah. weird. <laughs> but just to be sitting at the traffic lights and you sort of look to your left and there's this car and you know that no one's driving it, it's kind of freaky. <laughs> but yeah, they're a thing here, and it didn't run into anybody. It didn't crash into me, and it took off when the lights changed and i guess that's all you can ask for but i don't know they're, they're here guys look out they're here miles if you if you called an uber and one of those showed up would you get in i would yeah. i would i'd probably want to have a helmet and you know, <laughs> good you know crash this and a roll cage in there but yeah i'd probably get in seth what about you same question and i don't know uh I, you know, I don't know if I, I'm not so much that I'm afraid of my safety. I mean, I probably would get in, but you know, that would be if I was at gunpoint, somebody made me install Uber because <laughs> I don't want that crap on my phone. So, um, you're with a friend, I, he calls Uber and a, and yeah, a okay. relation shows up. Uh, it, if he went to get in, I wouldn't, I don't think I would try to influence his decision, but if he got in, I would follow him. But if he didn't want to get in, I would, I would accompany him to somewhere else. But you know, it, it brought up a very interesting thought to me. There's, there's always been historically when people get older, you know, in your driver's license, they, they put like an expiration date and we have these weird ones in Arizona. They go for like 50 years. You don't have to get a new driver's license. 
But I think they're designed that you get to a certain age. It's probably like 65. And at that point, they force you to go into the DMV and take like a visual test. You know, it's an age thing. And right. I know that so many people that are senior citizens that get older, they're always worried about what will happen the day will come when they lose their right to drive. And for a lot of people, it it is kind of – it's not an end-of-days scenario, but if you don't have the ability to move about freely, that's kind of not a good thing, right? And you know that right. you get to that – well, by the time we're all in those th- that age, right – We'll have cars that drive us. That problem's gone now. At least maybe in the next 10 years or 5, 10 years, it's going to be gone. That's, that's got to be a good thing, right? I mean, anybody at the age of 80 can travel freely anywhere they want, and they're not going to run in the back of you, theoretically. Yeah, my mom is nearing 80, and she is not able to drive. Uh, and she relies on you know local transit. Uh, she's also uh, in a wheelchair, so... She can't take all, uh, you know, all cabs, that sort of thing. Uh, she can walk short distances, but if, you know, she has to take her chair if she's going to be walking at her uh, or traveling after she gets to her destination at any point. Uh, so uh, she relies largely on the public transit, the, you know, the care buses that, that people do. Uh, there's no reason that those buses can't be and shouldn't be AI. Um, and th- it's going to be safer and more economical for those buses, uh, or you know, to to have vans that are that have a wheelchair accessibility on them, and it's going to open up a whole new world for otherwise shut-in people. Mm-hmm. Um, I ask you guys, would you get in? Not only would I get in, I would pay extra for it. I would pay you know an extra ten bucks to make sure they sent me the driverless car. Hmm. Yeah. Well, one so day that you don't you mind the that you're putting hard-working taxpayers out of business you know nobody misses the lamplighter nobody misses the wheelwright nobody misses the blacksmith life goes on right but i mean i don't know so you know it's just i know there's probably not a huge overlap of our audience and south park listeners but the whole i'm just hearing them they took our jobs and uh <laughs> it's just it's running through my head during this whole conversation well, so every every job is going to be replaced by a robot sooner or later including this one that i'm doing right now um it will not be long before ai can can have opinions and and or at least simulate opinions and can have right. these you know these entertainment talk shows will be hosted by you know uh composites of personalities that have been put together. Um, I recognize that as a reality. And I also recognize that there's certain responsibilities that society is going to have at that point. When you've put 80% of your population out of work, um, you got to figure out how to support that 80% of the population. I get it. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, it's also inevitable. The, the genie is out of the bottle and we can't put it back in. Yeah. But you know, it's funny The you get the, yin and yang of all of this right we're sitting at the traffic light next to a driverless car and yet we end up at this restaurant and it's the best barbecue in the well i'd say west of texas it's probably the best barbecue i've ever had i'm gonna get that from a robot that's not gonna happen that needs a human being looking after that thing watching it exactly i mean there's there's some things humans do so much better i, I just than don't machine. agree there's every bit really? of that learning every bit of that uh, intuition can be algorithmized uh, every bit of it oh, because wow. the intuition is a result of his repetition of doing it something that a robot 
you know, Excel, there'll be a sensor in there that, hey, you know, okay, the pit master opens the grill after 20 minutes or when the temperature is 578 degrees or whatever. And then, you know, periodically once so often it needs to be basted and then they'll throw just a tiny little bit of randomness. So it's not always 10 minutes. Sometimes it's nine and a half. Sometimes it's 10 and a half, just so that the batches, there'll be enough differences because you don't i mean the best would become gravel in your mouth if it was the same thing every time so they'll be they'll add that little bit of randomness just to keep it awesome and yeah that's i mean even i in i can see how ai would rule at least equal yeah Um, you can thumbs up thumbs down that enough to teach the the machine how to make the best barbecue ever Oh, this is this is killing me, guys. I'm a barbecue freak. I'm <laughs> I love barbecue. I could yeah. not eat it if a robot did it. I mean, not I, only do I love to oh. eat it, I love to make it. Uh <laughs> yeah. and, and I have spent two decades learning the craft of it. Uh but I think a machine at some point is gonna be able to do that in twenty minutes, not two decades. Oh. Oh no, you're doomed. <laughs> <laughs> You're you're hitting my my soft spot there, right there for barbecue. Oh man. Uh, okay. <laughs> anyway, one other thing. Uh, one last bit of of pop culture. So long, uh, Johnny. Be good, uh, Mister Chuck Berry. Passed this week, and um, as as a lover of his music, um, I just have to to mention it. We, you will be missed, Mister Berry. Totally. Yep. Go if you haven't. Go listen to my dingaling. And you'll never, you'll never think of Chuck Berry the same again. His his style of guitar playing was in his time was so unique, yeah, and so uh, it, it just made blues guitar come alive. It really, I mean, he's not the only one, of course, but right. man, what this guy, this guy's legacy is amazing. Yeah, you can't. The tool uh, never reaches its peak until it meets the master, and the electric guitar would not be the key rock instrument that it is today were it not for uh you know chuck berry and and blind melon and you know and the beatles and 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 these guitar gods uh that took the instrument and mastered it and made it the primary uh musical instrument of most music today um chuck berry was unmatched yeah totally agree there's you know Yeah, I mean, and for people who, like young people who say, oh, that's nothing, you should listen to Slash or whatever the famous guitar players are today, uh, they they wouldn't exist without, you know, they might have went further down the road, but the road was cut by people like him. And even if that's not your style of music, you have to be able to recognize the greatness with which they attained pursuing it so i was listening to some beatles with uh with my kids the other day because their choir director in school has been to, uh uh singing and teaching them beatles songs and so we were listening to it and uh my 12 year old asked the question you know I, i'm paraphrasing basically what's the big deal you know their music doesn't sound like a, uh, any different than anybody else's and and i was like yeah that's the big deal they did it <laughs> first and all the music you've heard all your life is based on their music and then, oh, now I get it. Right. Uh, okay, fun stuff. Uh, now let's move on to the listener feedback section. But uh, we have we have a, a first a new corporate sponsor. Uh, I have sold out um, uh, to the man uh, after uh, our discussion recently on what trolls 
uh, the the big pharma companies are. Uh, one of them offered to uh, to to have an opportunity to to revamp their public image right here on our show. And uh, so yes, uh, I have sold out to big pharma, and I have to play you this this ad, uh, and I'll do so shamelessly. I felt alone and isolated. Sure, email and social media are great, but I wanted something more. Something in real time with real people. I was in a rut with the same old routine. Then my doctor told me about CocoFest. CocoFest, held in Lombard, Illinois, is proven to help people break their routine and increase the enjoyment of their computer hobby. It was important to me that CocoFest didn't involve harsh chemicals. The fact that it reduced my feelings of isolation helped get me that confidence to participate in the Coco community. Some people had changes in behavior, thinking, mood, innovative and beneficial thoughts or actions during or after CocoFest. If you notice any of these, contact others right away. Tell others about any history of mental health improvement which will likely accelerate while attending CocoFest. Use caution when operating vintage computing machinery. Common side effects include trouble sleeping, feelings of anticipation, joystick thumb, and increased levels of vintage computing activity. I'm very proud. I love myself as a CocoFest attendee. Ask your doctor if CocoFest is right for you. So that was sent to us uh, by... Uh, John Mark, uh, who's written a couple of uh, letters about Coco Fest, uh, vintage computing festival in Illinois. So there you go. Joystick thumb, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> he, very good. I like. Yeah, it. he sent me an email and said, basically, I want to buy a spot to play one of these. How much for an ad? And he he sent me a list of of pre a whole bunch of these pre recorded uh, different styles, and I was like. You know, ordinarily I would charge, and I told him what it was. Uh, I said, "But I like this. It's funny, and it's a thing I support. So you get one for free. So there you go, Coco Fest." <laughs> and that's why we don't make any money at this. <laughs> that's a good point. I told you we I suck as a for businessman. <laughs> <laughs> All right, moving on. Oksana didn't write in to tell me I was wrong, but said I got something right. Who knew? says, greetings, I discovered your podcast, EDL and Geek Rant, a year ago uh, when I looked for Linux-related podcasts to use with my G-Potter, and I'm listening to your episode since then. Downloaded all EDL episodes and listening while there's no new Geek Rant episodes available. Thank you for your hard work. I enjoy listening to your rants. It's always informative and gives good advice on various topics. Or sometimes it urges me to rethink something, which is a great possibility to improve yourself. In one of the episodes at New Year time, you mentioned uh, eating and shopping habits of Americans and Europeans. As a Ukrainian, I can confirm that our habits are indeed different. We Ukrainians value healthy homemade food and eating uh, soup at dinner along with uh, second or third dishes is mandatory if you don't want anger from your wife or mother. Um, we have many markets and shops near living areas, so we get fresh meat, vegetables, and all the required supplies in just five to 20 minutes. Uh, therefore, we often run to the supermarket market or farmer's market every day to shop for fresh bread, milk, or once a week to take the big bags to stock up on essentials like eggs, meat, veggies, flour, oil, etc. Eating fast food is considered a self-harming activity here, and it's discouraged to do so unless you're a compulsive McDonald's eater. Keep up the good work, Oksana from Ukraine. Um, eating fast food is, is looked down on here too, and we look over our noses or uh, while we're shoving a Big Mac in saying we really shouldn't be doing this. <laughs> Wow. You know, I, I spent a bit of time in Prague last year, and I, I'm sure it's, Ukraine is probably far more uh, authentic in terms of 
natural food, but it is so nice to have food that's been cooked right there in front of you from local produce. It's just fantastic. So whatever you do, don't don't lose that. That's a really great thing. Yeah, yeah and I just want to point out that you described America 50 years ago. Exactly. So, you know, w- watch out when progress comes and they build interstates all throughout your country and the uh, malls come and then the strip malls come and then the big um, consumer warehouses come and then the um, standalone fast food places come. Then the fast food places attached to the gas stations that are everywhere. <laughs> then the fast food places that are in the consumer warehouses. And then the next thing you know, you're just where we are now. So fight it, Oksana. You can resist <laughs> on behalf of all Ukrainians. I wish you better than we fared. Good luck. It's actually, we've created a world in which it's very difficult. You have to go out of your way, make special effort, and pay extra money to eat healthy here in the U.S. That's um, true. Yep. You do. You pay a premium for it. Yeah. It's ridiculous. All right, moving on. Nate says we need more bacon. Hey, been listening to the show, a new listener. How surprising. And as a risk of sounding cliche, I actually like it. I just wanted to send you a short message to show you show you that you appreciate it. Although I haven't heard much about bacon, what's up with that? Also, your caption needs to be more clear. <laughs> World's hardest captcha, I'm telling you. <laughs> uh, you know, you're right, Nate. There has been a, a dearth of bacon on this show for the last two years, and uh, I, I have failed you as your host, and I promise I will do better. Yes, message received. Stay tuned. I eat bacon <laughs> three or four times a week. I just don't talk about it. You know? 2017, the year of the pork product. <laughs> <laughs> and Tony wants to know he's still with us, wants us to know he's still with us. Hey, guys, listen to the latest show. The latest was a few weeks ago. I've, this is, I've been hanging out on this one for a while and was surprised to hear that your listening numbers have fallen since the rebrand to Geek Rant. I may be in the minority, but I started listening because of the Linux tag, but stayed as I just enjoy the show. I loved Financial February and agree that the weight of freedom is living within your means and saving for the future. I'm fortunate that I turned my life around in my late 20s and made some better financial decision in the next 30 years. Despite being able to retire three years ago, I'm still living with the bad decisions I made over 30 years ago. Anyway, keep up the great work love the show here in the uk where i play with linux raspberry pi and i'm a member of the local maker space uh tony h1212 on twitter thanks Way tony to go, tony glad to know you're with us um, yeah. cool so this was a few episodes back I, I made a comment that uh by the numbers our listenership has has dropped considerably and i said something like if you're still out there let us know and so these are all people doing that very thing keith says i just started listening to the latest episode i am here and have been f- listening for a year or so to geek grant your thoughts on various topics are interesting to listen to and they are appreciated keep up the good work and some some fellow i i don't know who he is but his name is lord gigabyte and all hail lord gigabyte he says hey i've just listened to the latest geek grant i heard the questions to send an email so here goes i've been listening since the early days of everyday linux and been loving every show also the tightwad tech has been a favorite of mine too bad you had to put a cork in it for now anyway keep up the good work don't worry about the figures they'll get better in time greetings from belgian that's that tiny country in europe europe think chocolate and beer lots of beer mm, beer <laughs> You had me at beer. <laughs> you know, I I per- probably would not fare well in in most of Europe because they 
live on alcohol it seems and and i believe that beer is punishment for shoplifting so uh you know <laughs> it, it's just not for me uh, but thanks everybody for for your shout outs and from all over the world. Uh, I have I have often uh, contended that we have a global audience and and you have certainly shown that and I appreciate that. Yeah, it freaks uh, my friends out when I mention that you know I got an email from a listener in Australia or something. They're like, "What?" And I was like, "Yeah, it's called the internet. You can go anywhere." <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, and, and people become have become friends of mine, close friends of mine. Uh, over this, you know, the internet as a result of this this podcast and and my online activities, and I'll sometimes be talking about a, a conversation I had with a friend and and you know like who lives in in London and well how did you meet that person uh, online and so immediately they think of like you know bigbuttsanonymous dot com or something uh, that still meeting people online still has that stigma of of CD chat rooms where you type with one hand because the other one's occupied but the internet is you know bringing people together um, in very real and very wholesome ways and uh, I appreciate everybody out there who who appreciates what we do uh, it, it really means a lot truly yep yep uh-huh all right so here we are <laughs> hour in and we're getting to the topic seth i'm thinking we're not going to do much news tonight uh, no really <laughs> <laughs> unless we want to go full on two and a half hour uh mini series because uh, you got some good stuff there but anyway uh so what brought me to this uh i'm calling it practically principled and this is a discussion that we've talked around uh a few times uh but i i wanted to 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 bring it here to, to have a discussion about the the is it a disparity i'm asking the question is there is there a disparity between principles and practicality uh in on the internet in the computing world in the open source world um you know for example you know richard stallman uh is a man who is ultimately principled but we have mocked him openly on this show for not being practical he lives a lifestyle that is only practical if you have a large support group of people who don't follow your principles. Um, so he is the, the the clear dichotomy between principled and practical. Um, and so I just wanted to just throw that out there, let you guys comment just on that very concept. The that you know, particularly in the Linux world and the open source world, we we we're all, we're big about principles, about the freeness as opposed to the free uh, the freedom as opposed to freeness. You know, and and the the free is in speech and not free is in beer. And, and we're we're big about you know everything being open, but we pay a tax for that. You know, I, I called it many times the open source tax, the 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 Linux penalty. Um, we pay a penalty for our principles. Uh, is is there? Okay. Before I ask any other questions, just based on what I said, comments ready go. Seth. Okay. First of all, uh, one could argue that you do not pay a tax or a penalty for your principles. In open source, you pay the time it takes to function, get stuff working, work around, whatever. In the closed source, you know, Windows, whatever, you pay the price tag to get um, products where they've already worked it out. So you paid the price tag based off of the money you work. So it's a question of what do you want to spend your money or your time or your money that costs you time if you're just starting out the financial February journey? There's a nice opening round salvo softball, Mark. Come on. <laughs> Miles, Light it up. Your thoughts? Well, no, I think Seth's on it. Um, yeah, I mean, look, 
if you want to go open source, you've got to go in eyes wide open. You've got to have the skills. You've got to be willing to compile something from source code. You've got to be willing to uh, understand that there is no support community other than the community itself and that you might go on an IRC channel, ask a question, and have to wait an hour for someone to respond to you because they ain't getting paid to do it, um, and that maybe the project will die or go a different way or disappear or whatever. It's you get what you pay for. But you bring to it your skills and you hopefully what they're trying to do is they're saying you're trying to come to the community as a member and a contributing member in some way to make the thing better. Well, we've, we've all been raised as consumers for the most part. We go somewhere, we buy something and we um, expect the vendor to provide it. And if it doesn't work to support it or to refund us or whatever, and that's a habit that we're in. And open source breaks that habit. And for a lot of people, it's very hard for them to take. Unfortunately, what happens is that when you when you revert back to having to pay money to something to avoid the, I mean, well, let's face it, it's kind of a tax, right? I mean, the tax is you have to put your time into it and your skills into it. So if you, if you want to avoid that and you want to pay money so somebody else does all the hard work for you, that would be great if it was simply a Boolean decision, and that is either I do it or you do it, and if you do it, here's some money, go and do it. If it was as simple as that, it would be great. What it's become is a question of, and this is what RMS is all about, is freedom. It's not so much that you have a problem buying something from somebody, but by doing that, you don't want to then become tethered to that person or enslaved by that company or stuck in that situation where you can't go anywhere else if you choose to change the metaphor. So I see I see both sides of it. I'm, there's plenty of times I just don't have the time or energy or willingness to want to sit there. I spent most of my morning today trying to c- compile Apache from source. I mean, really? I had better things to do on a Sunday morning. I could have been hanging out with my daughter or, you know, I don't know, going to the movies or something. But no, I sat here compiling, you know, source code. Whoopee. Does that really – I didn't want to do that. But it's the only way that I can guarantee that I have control over that that stuff. So it's a cost I have to pay. Yeah. I. But that's that's moving into the world of impractical, right? Um, yeah. It – it's a it's a difficult thing because you want to be you want to to be principled. You do. You want to support companies that are principled. And maybe maybe the problem is that you know if Microsoft were more principled, we wouldn't have to worry so much about you know being practical. Um, and Intel, you know what the there's two things that brought this topic to my mind. Um, one was an article a couple of articles that Miles sent me about some, some infighting going on in the Bitcoin community. Um, and to, to, I'm sure Seth can go into much greater detail about this, but just for a quick summary, um, the, the Bitcoin as a, a, a protocol, as it was originally written, allows a one megabyte uh, chunk of memory, a chunk of, of processing space for uh, processing uh, transactions. And, that it takes a while to chunk through the large blockchain in one megabyte chunks. Uh, And so transactions are taking 20, 30, 90 minutes to be approved. Um, If you're a vendor selling something, you're never going to use a currency that takes 90 minutes to go through. 
You're just not. The guy can hand me his cash in you know seconds. Uh, I can run it through a credit card machine. Um, you know, in in seconds. Now, I mean, even back in the day when they were running the 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 carbons over the the things, it, there would be three or four days processing there. But there were some guarantees at that point. The the banks, in order to make that work, uh, Visa, Mastercard, those guys set up some guarantees and said, "We're gonna we're gonna help protect you, the vendor." from uh credit card fraud we're going to give you some buffer there because there's this days of lag time between the time that that a customer makes a purchase and you get the cash well now that's all uh you know with the new chip and pin system uh it's instantaneous um and so a lot of those now the 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 companies are often sometimes vendor antagonistic and pro-consumer uh but that's neither here nor there the the system has changed but they had to make concessions the people who wanted credit cards to be a thing had to make concessions to the vendors. Uh, Bitcoin, um, who want to make Bitcoin a thing, are unwilling at this point to make any concessions to the people who are actually using it. Uh, and one of those concessions is simply make the block the the, the block space bigger, double it, two megs, four megs, six megs. Uh, you know, every every processor we've got on the planet can handle that. Um, there's no technical reason not to. There are some technical you know, issues involved with implementing it, but there's no technical reason not to. The reasons not to end up coming down to uh, ideology and not technology. Uh, and Seth, I'll let you have your word in a minute. But the, the, that and, and this Google Wi-Fi, I got Google Wi-Fi. It is better, higher end, more secure than what I had been using before because it was four years old and technology advances in four years. So I now have the latest and greatest. Well, it's so late and so great and so secure that the uh, Centrino chipset in my laptop uh, won't work. I can't, I can't connect. I can't Wi-Fi. In 2017, using a relatively new, uh, I mean, it's three years old. It's, it's, it's not ancient. It's a three-year-old laptop. I can't Wi-Fi anymore. I bought new gear and it's so good and it's so secure that it won't connect. And so I, you know, plugged in and used different things, whatever, I, using different ways to connect to the world. I found that the solution is really simple. Uh, you go in and you disable wireless and networking and you drop your thing back to 1997 and use wireless G um, and then you can connect. So now my laptop connects at a maximum of 11 megabits, but at least it connects. That's impractical. And so, uh, for my principles of wanting to be open and wanting to use open source stuff, and because I like Linux, you know, I like the way it works, my principles and my preferences have become impractical. So now I have paid yet another Linux tax. I've paid Linux taxes all along, but now I've paid another Linux tax as I went to Amazon.com and ordered, slash Amazon, and ordered a new USB Wi-Fi dongle. So now I'm going to have to take up one of the, y, uh, the USB ports on my laptop. I'm going to have to have a permanent dongle plugged in just so that I can Wi-Fi in 2017. And worse yet, when I was searching Amazon, the everything store, I typed in USB Wi-Fi and something like 74 billion options came up and I tagged Linux on it and there were four. So to have one that I know is going to work with Ubuntu plugged in, it reduced my options to four. And then I had to pay an extra, I don't even remember what it was, $20, $30, some, some amount of money. I paid a tax on openness because there's no workable, useful driver for the device that's built into my laptop. We can go all about uh, who's to blame there, whose fault it is. It's the vendor, it's the it's the the kernel, whatever. The point is, it's a tax that I had to pay. It's an impracticality I had to go through to stick with my principles. 
and I'm I'm just I'm frustrated with it. And I, I, I'm not kidding. I was within seconds of just sticking Windows Seven on this thing, the original OS that came on it. They already have a license for that. I bought it with a soft with an OS on it, and went through extra steps again, more Linux tax, formatted the hard drive, removed the OS that came on it pre-configured to put my own on it because I like it and because I want to be open. I've already paid that uh, that time. I've already paid that tax. Uh, and I've been paying that tax every time there's an update that breaks something. But I like it. It's a hobby of mine. I enjoy these sort of things. So I'm willing to do it. But it's entirely impractical. Impractical. So my principles and my practicality are once again at odds. And I'm just, I'm so sick of it that I'm willing to succumb to, to Microsoft and, and be absorbed into the collective um, rather than have to mess with this every freaking time I get a new piece of hardware. Now, Seth. Go tell me how I'm wrong in every way. Um, man, I don't, I don't know. You had a, you had a wide, you had wide ranging comments there, so I don't know where to jump in, honestly. So, Miles, you go. I'll try to think of something. Well, I'll, I'll follow Mark's last point there. Um, there's a, there's an issue of personal and business competitiveness at risk here too. If you have to spend all of your time and energy chasing your tail on what should be simple, easy solved problems, and you're not out there doing what your mission is to do, whatever that be, then you're not competitive. Somebody else is going to come along the way and take away an opportunity that would be rightly yours because you're sitting there trying to compile something or fix your Wi-Fi driver or or whatever. I mean, at that you can't do that. It just doesn't work. We're just not in a position where we can afford the risk of doing that. And, and the problem is, though, that the the battle between freedom and having the option of outsourcing stuff to other people and letting them do it. That's a swinging pendulum that isn't Boolean. It's not on or off. It's this somewhere in the middle that makes sense. When everything swings towards open source, we all spend way too much time trying to make simple things work, and we all get frustrated by that. When we swing everything back to closed source, we let the vendors do it. The vendors go, aha, gotcha, and the next thing you know, you can't get out of that, that trap. So there's the secret somewhere in the middle and you have to everything has to be measured on a case by case basis and this is getting very hard for us it's easier for us geeks because we're technically minded we're willing as you said Mark you're willing to go in there and do that cuz you kind of enjoy it but I'm like I'm dealing right now with a situation where software that I wrote 10 years ago that has been working extremely well for me and my customers and and doing really well, it's now ready to go to the next stage. I've got to redo a whole bunch of things. I've got to upgrade versions and recompile stuff and redo it. I'm going to be looking down the barrel at six months of my life to do all of this sort of stuff. However, if I had a vendor that I was just buying their product and they just give me the next version of something, it might take me a few days. So, I've got to still somehow retain competitiveness in all of this. At some point, you know, it's hard to take. So I, I get it. I get it. I'm still pro open source, but probably like you, I'm being dragged along and I'm feeling the bruises and scratches as I get dragged along with it. Well, yeah, but Miles, like for you, what you just talked about is the exact same thing. You just, you, you the work needs to be done. So instead of, 
so it either has to be done by you, an open source person, or by a closed source person to keep the product updated. So in one sense, it's a question of, do I want to do the work or do I want someone else to do the work? So, and it's a little harder, yes, because it's open and this, the code, the products aren't optimized for this and optimized for that. And Mark, I just want to point out that I've noticed the rise in your or the, the decrease in your satisfaction has grown as you, the further you get away from when your job was this on a regular basis. So it, it's like you didn't notice it before because it was the exact same thing you did all day, every day as part of your job. And so you didn't notice it. Those skills were the skills you used every day. As you've moved into something else, you've moved out of the world of being one of the, um, you know, the bulwark, um, bulwarks of openness to kind of keep the closed source, um, community in, in check from overrunning everything. And now you've become the consumer who still knows how to do it, but don't do it as much as you used to. And you're not, it's like, you know, a bodybuilder who hasn't lifted weights in 10 years is I used to could do this all the time and now I can't do anything. I know how to do it, but I can't because I haven't used those muscles. So maybe part of your lack of satisfaction is because you have fundamentally changed in how you attack the world. I, I don't know that that's any direction that you thought this podcast would go. Well, I, but I, mean, I can accept that as a reality. Yes. I, I was at one time for a decade and a half an open source champion, and now I'm an open source whiner. Uh, I accept that. I recognize that to be a trueness. But it doesn't invalidate any of my points. Um, it shouldn't be. No, I, I can't even say that. Is, is this just the reality? Are we always going to have to make that trade-off between getting work done and seeing that there's an open source option? Is that just the way it is? Um, you know, the Mac users, people who love Macs, will tell you the reason they love Macs is that they're so productive. You can, they just always work. And, and all your productivity tools are always there. And the reason they always work is because you're doing the work that the vendor tells you you're allowed to do. Mm-hmm. And so as long as you're... Uh, um, motives and their motives align, it's a beautiful thing. But when you step out of that, and and I always came at, at Max from a, a right angle instead of parallel, and I always clashed hard with them. Um, and so the people who are in that flow, when they're in the stream, when they're when they're uh, going downstream, they, they think, well, this is perfect. This is easy. This is great. I don't even have to row. This thing is just pushing me along. It's working great. But when they decide to get off, or when they don't want to go over the waterfall, they realize that this just doesn't work. And so, you know, for a long time, my job, as you said, Seth, was swimming upstream. I fought it all day, every day. Um, and 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 so I, I get your point, but I, I'm not willing to concede that this is life. This is the reality of life, that the only options are uh, succumb to the vendor uh, and have everything go smoothly or fight every, tooth and nail to do things you want to do. Is it really that binary? Uh, Somewhat, yeah. The Bitcoin thing is really bringing this to the forefront, though, because now now you've got a situation where that's exactly the problem. You've got, I mean, let's go back five, six, well, eight years, I guess, pre-Bitcoin, that, you know, our only option in terms of currency was to be based around a centralized Federal Reserve or a centralized government and issuance of currency, 
and we had our dollars and we used our dollars and we invested it on the stock market and we hoped to get some sort of return. And if somebody messed something up economically, we all felt the pain and suffering, right? Bitcoin comes along and it says, I'm going to give you your freedom. I'm going to give you a currency that is decentralized, that is owned by the community, that is open source, that you can use to transact freely across barriers without any of this centralized, um, you know, control getting in the way between you and your money and the economy. And everybody, we love it. I mean, we absolutely love it. But here's the problem. Just like open source for Linux or any software that you're running, in the case of an economy going open source, now what you're suffering and what we're really suffering right now is the fact that there is no guy who is the person, who is Mr. Bitcoin, who says, Bitcoin shall be this and can make an executive decision, and then we follow that decision. It's all done based on consensus. It's all done in a decentralized manner. And the problem is what we've got is a whole bunch of people in the, that community, which is not, look, we've seen this in other communities. We've seen it in the Linux world. We've seen it, you know, with any successful project where all of a sudden the people, the players on that project start getting this rock star mentality and think that their decisions are what brought wealth to everybody else and they can upon you know they can from on high dictate what they want and then they find themselves in this consensus where no one wants to listen to them anymore and all of a sudden everybody's going to take their ball and go home and that's what's happened to the bitcoin world it's it's really no different than what happens in open source but at the end of the day we never had to deal with people's wealth <laughs> it was people's computer or whatever and okay my computer doesn't work big deal get over it okay, I've lost every bit of money that I've got in the world. That's a big deal. And so people have got so much skin in the game to make sure that this decision goes their way, that it's their way or the highway, and that's going to cause a huge split in the Bitcoin community and nobody's going to win. And that's the, the – if you were putting a spotlight on all of the flaws of open source versus proprietary or freedom versus central control – this is the one that's going to make the the freedom world look like a bunch of blithering idiots. Mr. Bitcoin Miner? Huh, man, I first of all, I haven't checked to see how much money I'm making in a while on my Bitcoin rig, although I noticed the price has gone down. Um, but about that, I'm I'm not that worried yet over the fall in price because part of that fall is offset by the rise of Ethereum. So you have some of the fall in Bitcoin is people are jumping to the hot cryptocurrency. And like I say, not all of it. Uh, there's a lot of it that has to do with stupid people being stupid. And, you know, whenever your 20,000 Bitcoins is worth 50 cents, who cares if you lose them all? But when your 20,000 Bitcoins is worth $20 million, you're not going to do anything with that because you don't want to do anything to make your uh, money uh, go away. So I understand that. I don't, you know, it's not, that's only one factor in the uh, current fall of Bitcoin. And again, when I checked this afternoon, it was still over a thousand dollars. Hey, this could be that Bitcoin could be worthless tomorrow. It, it could be, you know, it could be worth 20,000 tomorrow. So I, I don't, I, I'm still bullish on Bitcoin. I still think it's a, um, I still think 
it is the leader. If something happens to Bitcoin, it will hurt every other cryptocurrency that's out there. But, and a lot of this goes to the paradox of choice. You know, you talk about how Mac people love it because they're limited in options. So it's like, I can only pick A or B. But when you do open source, you have, well, let me see. I can see options A through F, but what about if I want to take option Z? What would it take to do that? And so there's so much possibility it paralyzes you from making any choice. And that that is, unfortunately, one of the things is, you know, Somebody who works for Microsoft knows I have to make this hardware work with this OS. So I have to figure out, you know, the ones and zeros in such an order so that it works with my operating system. Whereas, hey, Linux will run on darn near anything. So how do I make this driver universal enough that it'll run on anything, but yet complex enough that I can still get all the usage out of the hardware? Well, guess what? that's a lot more complexity required. So therefore it takes a higher skill set and it's going to take more time to do. So yes, the work is going to be harder because there is such a wide encompassing thing that's going to be done. And you know, if you're a consumer, you're really not going to be able to do that work. I mean, yeah, you know, you're hobbyists and you can kind of do it. And that's one thing, but it's going to be harder for you because it's less of what you do on a regular basis. But that complexity, if anything, has increased because now, in addition to regular hardware, you now have the Internet of Things. It adds a whole other level of complexity and paralyzing choice. So paralyzing choice, short-term sell-off in Bitcoin. If you're bullish on it, you know, maybe it's fallen enough that you can buy some. I, I don't know. I, I'm not investing any money in Bitcoin, but I still got my miner running. It's still profitable for me a little bit. And that's that doesn't really answer any questions, but that's some random statements <laughs> well, from me. There, there should be one thing. I, I think what we didn't do is we didn't kind of explain the without I don't want to go into huge detail, but to explain the basics of what's going on right now that's timely that brings this matter to the forefront. The the problem we've got right now is is as Mark said, it's about block size. And what you've got is a is a protocol, a technology that was designed for one thing and has been so successful that it's effectively broken itself because it's gotten too big and everything's too slow. And so the answers to do that is just to increase the size of a block. The problem with doing something that sounds so simple is that everybody out there who uses this protocol is going to effectively have to retest everything and we don't want a mistake to happen. You know, if a mistake happens because you upgraded your version of Skype and it didn't work and then the next day they send you a new patch out and they, you know, and it fixes it, that's great. When you upgrade your version of money and it doesn't work and somebody steals all of your money and then they upgrade it the next day, that's kind of a big deal. And so what happens is that nobody wants to upgrade. Unfortunately, when you're getting in the technology world, you have to upgrade. It's part of the the road we're on. And Bitcoin has thankfully never had a major problem with its protocol uh, in terms of uh, security breaches. I mean, there's been breaches of exchanges, but there's not been breaches of Bitcoin. It's solid. And nobody wants to lose that status. So the problem is that because everyone's pushing back going, no, you can't do it. No, you can't do it. What's happening is all the old guard who came to Bitcoin from the old Satoshi paper of 2001 where Bitcoin was promised to be a way of doing remittance transactions for free and instant and, you know, being a currency that the, that the unbanked could use and that, you know, would serve the world. Those people are going, I don't care about your 
$20 million invested in cryptocurrency. We didn't build Bitcoin for that. We built it so that some guy in Nigeria can trade with some guy in Ghana. We didn't build it for your $20 million. So just, you know, suck it up, deal with it, upgrade your Bitcoin protocol because we need this thing to work for the, for the other half of the world. That's where the problem is. And the result is that the old guard, Roger Veer and his crew, are basically saying, we're going to split and fork Bitcoin and create a separate currency called BTU, and we're going to trade that on the exchanges, and your BTC, your Bitcoin, will be devalued as a result of us splitting because none of us can come to a consensus agreement on anything. Um, that was something threatened for the last two years, Everyone said, nah, that's never going to happen. While well, we watch Bitcoin going up and up and up and up in value. And then this week, what happened? 21 exchanges started to trade BTU. All of a sudden, the exchanges said, maybe this is going to happen. And so they all started to say, all right, we're going to start to prep up for trading BTU. And that's when the market went, uh-oh. And then the Bitcoin price dumped 20% like overnight. And yes, it is in a situation where it's stabilized right now, but as those exchanges start coming online and starting to trade BTU and we start seeing this hard fork go into effect, that BTC price is going to go down the toilet. It did with Ethereum. Ethereum split about 18 months ago or 12 months ago, and it took that long for it to come back together again and for them to work out their problems and deal with it. Unfortunately, that precedent may play into Bitcoin's hand as well. So right now, it's quite unstable. And, you know, it's the exchanges that are pushing it. So I don't know. Maybe we should all start mining BTU. There could be a huge opportunities there. I don't know. All I know is that these guys can't agree on anything. Right. But also, here's the thing. There is a problem in, the, um, in Bitcoin mining. You have all of these independent miners working to get the same block. So think of all of that wasted and redundant and duplicate horsepower. So the first person, the first miner that gets the block wins the reward. And if you're a solo miner and you, you lucked into a block, man, you hit it big. If you're part of a pool that's distributed and so the load bears like that. But there, there have been suggestions in the past over what can be done to minimize that redundant um, work that's happening at the same time. And if that, if that, if there were some way to do that, then it wouldn't matter the size of blockchain because all of a sudden your mining power gets effectively tripled, quadrupled or some other thing. What I wanted to do is, is steer this away from Bitcoin. Cause I don't want to be all Bitcoin all the time. Um, and and talk about something else where this is a, a another great example. What I think is the the uh, uh, epitome uh, of the debate between or the the struggle between uh, practical and and principled, and that's binary blobs in the kernel. And so let me tell you what that means. My complaint about the Wi-Fi driver uh, is, you know, the the reason that that Wi-Fi driver is a problem is that Intel, in this case, it's the the Intel driver. Uh, they don't want to open source their their code because that's that is the core of if you once you see the code you can backtrack the hardware and so uh, people are already competing with intel left and right they don't want to help them uh, by giving them both the code and letting them go deconstruct the chip so what they have uh, 
uh, offered to do a couple of times. Intel and other companies, uh, Broadcom, uh, have have offered to give you a pre-compiled binary chunk of data that is a valid driver within uh, uh, a Linux kernel. And we will just wrap that inside the Linux kernel. So it will just work. And it's the consumer's dream. Um, I upgrade the kernel. Um, It works because I have this proprietary driver um, coded and and obfuscated and, uh, you know, for all practical purposes, uh, uh, uncrackable, uh, wrapped inside the open source kernel. It's a win-win. Everybody wins. Except the people who's like RMS, whose principles say you cannot have something non-open inside something open. And so for principle reasons, and I'm not saying that I agree or disagree, I'm leaving that out, but for principle reasons, the consumer loses because the kernel developers uh, say we won't take something non-open and wrap it inside our open kernel. And so uh, practicality gets dumped on in the name of principles. And so you end up with the end users having to compile their own code, having to hack the code, having to reverse engineer things. And so you get a commodity piece of, of equipment that works on Windows and works on Mac perfectly every time, will not work in Linux or works buggy in Linux, or you have to compile your own, not because the vendors are unwilling to provide a driver, but because the maintainers of the kernel are unwilling to use the driver that is given because it doesn't match their principles. So this is the same dichotomy there, the same battle between practical and principled. And it's not, it's not uh, you know, Bitcoin. It's not esoteric mining stuff. It's not somebody's currency. It's the everyday life of learning to do stuff. You know why Macs work so well? Because a Mac user has no idea what a driver is. Stuff just works. Why does it just work? Because Apple says this is the hardware. We control the hardware. If you want to stick a network adapter in one of our machines... It's a network adapter we made or we partnered with the company that did. And the code is right there in our kernel and it works every time. Linux users, open source users could have that experience if they were willing to fudge on their principles enough to take that binary blob and wrap it in their kernel. But they they disagree. R- rarely do they ever actually cite principles. They cite security and they cite we can't know what's in there so it could be NSA. And so that's become the buzzword. And so uh, they won't even stand on their principles. They make excuses for not helping the end user. Is, is the problem we're expecting too much out of this stuff? I mean, we well, expect yeah. it to work. I mean, is um, that too much? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, look, it's magic stuff, right? It happens in the air and signals and stuff we can't see and man, if you would go back 50 years and show somebody that, they'd freak out and go, that's just magic and that can't be right. And, you know, I mean. (laughs) (laughs) But to your point, all right, so I could go to kernel.org. I could find the list of hardware that they produce that is known good, known gold, always works. And I could go build a machine guaranteed to work with whatever flavor of Linux I want to use. And there are a couple of companies doing that. Um I just blanked on the name of it. System seventy six is is one I bought servers from them when I was in that world uh, because I knew it would work with Ubuntu because they went and they did all the work. They where drivers needed to be compiled, they drive uh, they they did, um, and so I had that premium experience. I had I had to pay the Mac price to get it though, so I could right now I could go get a System seventy six laptop and it would work flawlessly or darn near flawlessly as well as flawlessly as you can get in the computer world 
But again, I have to. I now have maybe to pay that open the key, source tax. Though. Maybe the fact is that the real price is that price. And what we've been doing is getting the cheap, get what you pay for price. And we've gotten so used to getting everything so cheap, but we're expecting cab, you know, or a Bentley, and we're willing, and we're buying a Honda Accord. And it's you, you don't, you're not going to get that. It's just not part of what we're buying. We just have to be willing to pay more. Okay, Mark, you are a hypocrite, and I'm Uh-oh. calling you out. <laughs> okay, for two or more years, you have been pounding everyone. Pay for what you like. So if you like Linux and you like open source, then you need to shut up and pay for what you like. But if you want to be a typical American whiny consumer, then complain because, you know, you're not getting this at that price. You want the you want the Linux at the cheap subsidized price. So you're being a hypocrite and this whole show is irrelevant. <laughs> Go. I'm not sure I agree that I'm hypocritical in that point. Sure, I'm a hypocrite. Um I can give you I can give you lots of ways in which I'm a hypocrite. I don't think you're right on this one uh, because I do pay for Linux uh, in in that I make donations to uh, the Linux Foundation on a regular basis. Uh, I support the things that I like. Um, but what I don't want to have to do, the one of the reasons, and again, this is a principle thing, right? Principle versus practicality. One of my core principles is I don't want to be told what hardware I have to buy. Um, and so, I I want the freedom, right? I, this the whole thing that I've said all along. It's freedom versus uh, uh, what works. I want the freedom to be able to buy my own, source my own components, buy my own stuff, and put it together in a way that works. Um, but I, I I'm unwilling to pay like like we were talking about with Miles' uh, software earlier. He's he's coding it himself because there isn't a vendor or if there is a vendor or a consultant, he doesn't want to pay the the price to do it. So I'm willing to do some work on my own, but I don't have the capacity to build a laptop. I, I just don't have those tools, right? In the, in the PC world, I could do that. And I did that. And in the server world, I did that. Um, but if I want something I can carry with me and I want something that weighs five pounds and is thin and light, somebody else has to engineer that. And the people who are engineering that, and guaranteeing that it works with Linux are charging a price I'm unwilling to pay. Is that hypocritical? I don't know that it's that, that, that in that case, it's hypocritical. It's just the market. If they were charging 50% more, I'd pay it, but they're charging 150% more in some cases. That's because they don't have the volume because nobody wants to pay it. You know, the, the first people always pay more so that the people behind them can pay less. You so know, but what you would, are keeping Linux from the masses. What would Shame the, on you. What would the listeners think of me if the tightwad tech went and spent $1,500 on a, on a mediocre laptop? Because but face you, it, that's what System76 offers. They open, offer mediocre hardware at premium prices. But Mark, you're the tightwad program analyst now. <laughs> I'm still a tightwad. <laughs> well, no, uh, I Miles, think what are your right. I mean, there's a it's a there's a gradient scale of use case and price and what you're willing to pay. I'm like you. I don't want to pay much. I mean, there's no way I want to pay more than I need to pay, and I'm willing to do a bit of the work to save some money. But at what point does that return on investment? Uh, would, uh, when does that formula not play out? And you have to make that decision based on each individual use case. And I tell you, the one thing that's really a hard thing to take is that I'm not, I'm not sure if it's in the same boat with yourself. When you buy a lot of cheaper things, uh, laptops or small computers or whatever, you tend to buy five of them 
because one, you know, it did almost everything you want and then it didn't do this, so you had to get another thing. But you got a cheap one, but now you got two cheap things. So if you had the sum of that together, <laughs> it's more than it would have cost to buy the right thing in the first place. Um, unfortunately, we're on a train journey with technology where we are always moving forward. There's always something new which we have to buy. And so we're perpetually going to have to continue to buy computers. But whether or not you want to buy 10 versus 5 over a 10-year period really comes down to, you know, use case and what you're willing to do. So, I don't know. We have to be realistic, but I'm with you. I, I think that you said the key word. It's freedom. It's not – and this is an RMS thing, and I hate to say that RMS was right because he's annoying, but he's right. It's about freedom, and freedom's not about money. It's about your ability to change the thing and make it do what you want, and not tell you, and not have somebody say no, you can't do that. Well, no, I want to do that. Let me do that. No. Well, I, you know, if you're like me, and I'm, I'm sure we all share this in common, all three of us, we don't like taking no for an answer. We're willing to challenge what, what's being told to us, and we want the ability legally to do that. And open source gives us that. Are we willing to give that right up in order to save a little money or to, to pay a little extra and buy something that's prepackaged? Do we want to be in a walled garden like Apple or do we want the freedom? There's a cost to that freedom, but we, we want but it, right? The problem, Miles, you said, do we want to give that up? And I think that's the wrong question. The question isn't, do we want to give that up? The question is, how hard are we willing to fight to take it back? Because let's face it, we as a society gave up that right a long time ago because we wanted a cheaper laptop. It didn't matter that it was assembled by 15 year olds in Malaysia and shipped across, you know, with uh, good tax benefits because they make $2 a month. Whereas somebody in America doing that's going to get 15 or $20 an hour. So screw them. I want the cheap thing. And so now we've given our power, the power that we had that the hobbyist had when the computer industry was small to pick and choose what they want to buy, who they want to buy from the software they want to install. And now, there are so many giants out there that control most of the things that the people pining for freedom are running around hunting for scraps that fall off the conglomerate's pile. And unfortunately, we let it get that way. And so how hard are we going to fight to take it back? Not do we want to give it up? Ooh, that's very deep. And I think you're right. I'm willing to fight. Look, I... I'm tired, I'm beaten up, I'm worn down by this whole thing, but I'm still willing to fight. But as Mark's saying, we're all still tired and worn down and beaten up and we don't like feeling that way. Am I right? Yeah, I guess the question that I want answered that, that I started this whole thing is, is, is there any, is there, are there any options? Is it as binary as I have presented it? And everything we've said throughout this entire hour of discussion has said yes. It's that binary. Suck it up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> pretty much. For most people, their money comes from their job, and so it's a question: Do you work at your job to get the money to get the things that work, or do you work at taking these weird things and getting them to function together? So, where do you want your work to go? You know, you're a hobbyist, so you're willing to 
I want to take the stuff and get them to work together. I'm a tinkerer, which is like a little bit below hobbyist. So I like to see what happens if I try this. Oops, I got to buy 10 of everything now because I blew up half the house. So, you know, that's the thing is. And, you know, whereas Miles is someone who has built his portfolio and now he isn't having to put forth the effort to get the money to get the thing. So this is more of a binary thing for him. But for us, it's a question of where do we want, what do we want our work to accomplish? Do we want our work to accomplish the money that lets us buy the thing? Or do we want our work to accomplish the hobbying and tinkering that makes the thing work? So that's your binary question. Yeah. So uh, just while you were talking, I went to system76.com. Uh, and I'm looking at their laptops. Um, to I, I currently have an HP 15-inch laptop uh, that is uh, aluminum-ish. Uh, it's kind of a parts of it are plastic, parts of it are aluminum. It's made to mimic a, a MacBook Air. And I don't remember what I paid for it. It was a few years ago. But I'm going to say it was in the range of $600. Um, let's say I'm off by 50% and it's $800. I don't think I, I would pay $800 for this laptop. But let's just say that I, that I, that I am. The, the only thing they have on their website that is comparable is $1,400. It's thicker than the one I have right now. Um, and just quickly browsing the stats, the battery life isn't as good. If I want to go the next step up, $1,900. Um, better processor than I currently have. Still thicker, still heavier. Um, but it's now $1,000 more than the overestimate of what i think i paid um and then the next step down for 700 dollars is looks a lot like the one i've got but it's only a 14 inch screen instead of a 15 so i have to give up an inch of screen to pay what i think is probably about a hundred dollars more than i paid uh for what i have now that that's too much of a premium i would pay 50 percent more i would if so let's say i paid 600 for what i've got I might pay 900 I might, for something that I knew worked, but I will not pay $1,400. That's just a premium I'm not willing to pay. I don't, this is not anything against, against System76. Seth, like you said, they don't get the volume Dell does. They don't have the, the discounts. This is probably doesn't represent a huge markup for them. I, I'm, I'm guessing they're making 20% or less on each of, the, uh, each of these units because it's too competitive a market for them to have a huge markup. You know, a lot of businesses, you look for a, 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 a 35 to 50% markup. Um, I don't think they can do that. I, I don't know their internals. I'm making this up. Uh, but I just don't think, I think this uh, $1,400 15-inch laptop probably cost them 900 to make. Um, but it's still, I'm just not willing to, to pay that much of a premium. But there's still no guarantee that it's going to give you the end result with Linux that you're hoping for, because six months from now, and you know Ubuntu sixteen ten or seventeen o four or seventeen ten or whatever comes out, and the kernel breaks it, and now it's you know they've got to be able to support backward compatibility. Yep. Maybe they don't have the resources, and I'm sorry, your computer doesn't work anymore. And they sell support, so at that point right. you're you're paying again. Uh, and I, I, I want to, if anybody out there is a System76 fan, I too am a System76 fan. I'm not mad about this. Server components, they tend to, tend to be less expensive and high quality. 
But the issue is that these laptops, you know, there's only four companies in China that make these things. And and Dell is buying, and Microsoft is buying, and Apple is buying, and System76 is all buying from the same four companies in China. Um, and they're just a very tiny minnow in a very large ocean. And let's also remember that your your acquisition of that computer has a shelf life. You're buying something that you know will probably serve you for three to five years tops. I mean, a lot of people wouldn't even right. get that out of it. And you know, I, I, I fell into the same trap with you. I mean, one of the things that I was noticing over the years was that I do a lot of travel and I'm on planes and I go to see clients so much and, I, and I'm carrying around five pounds of computer in a, in a laptop and my back's hurting. I mean, it's really bad. So I wanted something lighter. And so I ended up paying $1,800 for a Dell XPS 6, uh, 15 a year ago. And thankfully, I got Ubuntu Mate running on the thing. It was, it was pulling my hair out to make it work but eventually got it working. And I love that computer now. It's fantastic. Meanwhile, I see an ad this week for the new LG laptop that's 2.4 pounds for a 15-inch screen. This thing's gorgeous. It's everything that I'd ever want if I just wanted to save my back. Am I willing to spend the money to buy that computer and throw away the 12-month investment I made a year ago? No, I'm not. But this is, this is the problem. We're going to keep buying and buying and buying and repeat this process forever <laughs> until we stop buying laptops because we don't need them anymore. I don't see that day will ever come. Yeah, I'm, I'm on Dell's website now. And for the XPS 13, I don't want a 13-inch screen. Uh, I mm-hmm. want I want 15. That's the sweet spot for me. But I, I, I'm not even seeing a 15-inch uh, option. It may be there, but I'm not seeing it. Um, it starts at $800 with Windows. Put Linux on it, it goes up to 950 Yeah, mine was $1,800 all, well, just under two grand by the time you had tax and everything out the door. Yeah. They're not cheap. And, and you- I'm not mad at Dell, honestly. They... they have to maintain a separate image. Uh, they have to. They have to do that work. And Microsoft is probably paying them. They're probably subsidizing, like you were saying earlier. Maybe this is the true cost without the Microsoft subsidies. Um, maybe laptops should cost uh, nine hundred to eighteen hundred dollars. And Microsoft has been subsidizing them just so that they can have the hegemony in in the OS system. Um, and, and, you know, just like with cell phones, once I broke out of buying from my vendor, I mean, from my provider, I ended up paying a lot more for cell phones. But eventually, the market caught up with me on that. Uh, I, don't, I don't know that there's enough pressure for, for you know, a one plus one version of, of computers. Sorry, Seth, I stepped over you. What were you going to say? I don't remember. <laughs> okay. Uh- I, I was I was gonna say a lot of stuff, man. So uh, you know, the thing is, we're at a point now where most computers are purchased because of desire and not necessity. Anyway, I mean, let's you know, Miles. You know, you're a programmer, so you're a hard user of a computer. But for the vast majority of society, computer purchases are about desire and you have companies like Microsoft saying, Hey, we're not going to, you know, we're going to stop supporting this OS on newer stuff. So if you try to, you know, and we're, and so they want to force you, but it's artificially creating demand. So I don't know that there's going to be a groundswell enough 
to push this. But Mark, you mentioned that the server components at System76 were cheaper, and that's because Linux rules the server world. Or you know, and while you could argue about rules, but it has a big enough footprint to demand hardware be specific to it and companies produce drivers for it otherwise there wouldn't be a market so that's why the servers are there but unfortunately the linux desktop has become irrelevant with the uh webification of everything known to man so it becomes a tinkerer's market and you're gonna pay a premium in either time or money most likely both to get stuff to work there there is one thing that i would also add to the discussion and talking about open source versus proprietary, not so much on the cost factor, but on the uh, oversight, I guess the right word. The one thing Linux has always had going for it that's kept it on the straight and narrow and made it succeed and grow and mature is Linus Torvalds. He, you know, everyone complains about the fact that this guy can be a real, you know, hard ass out there and he really kind of slams kernel developers if they don't produce quality and he's a real taskmaster. But because of him taking that role, Linux has grown to the point where it does dominate the server world and it's an integral part of our life and the world wouldn't look the same way it does today if it wasn't for him and what he's done. So I appreciate that you've got a guy, the conductor of the orchestra up there conducting and doing that very, very well. In other areas in open source, particularly in Bitcoin, we don't have Satoshi Nakamoto. We don't have a a Linus Torvalds in that world keeping everybody on the straight and narrow. And, And as a result, consensus is a very, very fickle thing. And it's only because we don't have centralized management or somebody, you know, calling the shots that the entire project is at risk. Whereas in the case of Linux, it seems to be on a fairly stable, we can sit here complaining about the fact we can't get a Wi-Fi driver to work or that Linux computers are more expensive. Considering those are the things that's really lightweight arguments compared to the Bitcoin world where, oh my God, money as a whole is going to disappear because these guys can't agree on anything. It's a very fundamental difference of of but yet they're that both based around the same thing one got it right because they've got linus torvalds in the in the director seat the other one didn't because satoshi disappeared off the face of the earth and never was seen to again yeah and linux isn't the only kernel in town if you don't like linus you couldn't go elsewhere and lots of people have done that and they didn't get the traction what's the GNU kernel up to 0.08 alpha i think now um you know, without the critical mass of developers uh, behind a system, it, it won't matter. And that's that's the Bitcoin issue you're running into right now. If if a bunch of people go off and make their own thing, you know, remember Dogecoin? Coin, it's a thing. It's out there. There's lots of digital currencies out there already using the blockchain. They're they're doing the same thing. Anybody can do it. It takes a critical mass for it to matter. And the problem with the the Bitcoin thing is that the 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 lead developers, the people who matter, are the ones arguing with one another. Um, but in the end, it's going. The market's going to decide one of those is better than the other. Uh, the world can't handle, you know, uh, ten digital currencies. Uh, it's just not going to work that way. Um, there will be two, maybe three, uh, and it may be Ethereum, Bitcoin, and BTU. That's entirely possible. That could all work. It could all be successful. But it's going to have to be, you know, a bunch of people who don't like to get along getting along to make it happen. 
Yeah, I will just say that, you know, a little counter to your point, Miles, I don't think Bitcoin would have got the acceptance if there had been a benevolent dictator, because I'm not going to give money to you, um, you know, or if it had, it would have taken a lot longer. Part of the reason it was able to reach the critical mass is somebody seeded the wind and said, I'm out of here. And then it was able to kind of just let nature take its course. And so short term, there's a problem with Bitcoin. Okay. You know, Ethereum got to the point I thought it was going to die, but it didn't. And it came back stronger than ever. So if you're a short term profit taker, you know, Bitcoin is going to be bad for you for the next year or two. But I think if you're a long term investor or user, it doesn't matter because if you're buying stuff as you're using it, then it, you know, if you, if your Bitcoin maintains, you know, if $10 worth of Bitcoin buys you of a meal, it doesn't matter if you're doing that instant conversion, if that bought you 0.1 Satoshis or 0.75 Satoshis because you're using it. And if you're a long-term investor, you like to see the quote unquote market correction because there's no market that is going to go up all the time that it'll do that and then it'll hit a cliff and die and never recover. You want to see the corrections in the market. So I think, yeah, short-term Bitcoin bad, long-term, I still think Bitcoin good. Oh, yeah. I, I'm, I'm totally on board with Bitcoin all the way. I'm a long-term player. But I think that you have to be a realist and there's certain times where you have to go and sit on the bench and just let the thing play out a little while before right. you re-enter the field again. And right now I'm on the bench, so... Uh, you know, but I'm ready to go back in as soon as everything sort of settles itself down. All right. As as all conversations do, this one has devolved into a bunch of repeating of the same arguments. So that's when I know <laughs> it's time to quit. Um, so now I will ask you, the listener, the, uh, you know, five or ten of you that are still out there, um, what do you think about this? And, you know, I know lately I can't have a conversation with these two guys without 80% of it being Bitcoin, um, but this discussion was not yeah, about you Bitcoin. You started it. <laughs> this discussion was about uh, practicality versus principles. Uh, so what do you think? Let me know. Um, and the best way to do that is go to elementop.com, click the Contact Us button at the top of the page, and uh, fill out the world's hardest CAPTCHA. Uh, sorry, Nate, it's just really hard. Um, and uh, then uh, fill out the form, and, and you'll uh, get priority in my inbox. Like, uh, no way at gmail.com uh, just uh, sent me. I, I, I don't have a problem saying that because I doubt that's a real uh, email. Um, just moments ago. He sent me this. Just listen to 275, and you said you've lost two-thirds of your listeners since you went from EDL to Geek Rant, wanted to, and you wanted some input. Well, your show is the next to go if I find a new podcast. Hey, I want to listen to tech stuff, not finance. Time to write the ship or use more listeners, or lose more listeners, excuse me. All right, Joe. Um, thank you for that input. Uh, so I, uh, you know, I, I read all emails, sometimes on the air. Um, if you don't like what we're doing, you know, that's okay. It's okay for you not to like it. And, um, and I, I do want, I do want to hear that truly. I do. Uh, I, I appreciate that, um, that feedback, Joe. Um, I don't know that I'm going to write the ship as you call it. Um, I'm pretty happy with the show as it is. Uh, but you know, I, I also want to make you the listeners happy. Um, 
And if I get 500 emails saying never talk about Bitcoin again, and two emails saying we love the Bitcoin, bring it on, then I'm going to listen to what the audience has to say. Uh, but I'll probably have to find two new co-hosts <laughs> if I do that. Uh, There'll be element OP will become a multi podcast <laughs> again. <laughs> so, uh, but you know, Mark, and, and here's the thing. You know, as much as I, I like, I value his. Uh, you know, we did say this was financial February. So we laid that out and today we hit on finances, but that wasn't the main thing. Hey, money impacts every area of your life. So even if the topic's not about money, unfortunately, if money doesn't make the world go round, it provides the oil that lubricates the mechanism that does. Well, it's also, it's um, it's open source too, isn't it? I mean, whether that is implemented in technology or politics or money or whatever, it's open source. And yeah, Genesis was technology, so we always have a a soft spot for that. Yep. All right. So there you go. com. Contact us button at the top. Uh, and, uh, you know, let me know if you like me. Let me know if you hate me. That's okay. Uh, but in, in this point, I'm interested in hearing what you what you think. Am I a, am I a hypo, uh, hypocritical whiner? Uh, spoiler, yes. But in this particular case, uh, am I hypocrit- hypocritical in my whinings about this particular issue? Let me know what you think. Um, and uh, we'll we'll do further follow-up to come. I'm sure I will whine about something in the future. But for now, Seth, what happened this week in history? All right. On March the 16th, 1990, the Internet first extended beyond the United States to Europe. The National Science Foundation announces it will extend its network with a high-speed data link to Europe. Five years earlier, the Internet in its modern form had started to develop rapidly thanks to the formation of the NSFNet, which linked five supercomputer centers in the United States. Later in 1990, Europe contributed to the growth of the Internet when CERN's Tim Berners-Lee developed HTML, the language used for the World Wide Web. And that started this week in history. Back to you, Mark. So 27 years ago, if my math is right, um, the internet became a global thing. It truly became an internet. Yeah. When I settled into my senior year of doing nothing the last six weeks, the internet <laughs> was going global. Um, that's, that's an interesting milestone um, that it was, it was just that recent in history. Um, and it, it just went went crazy from there. At that point, it was five computers. Wow. Um. All right. Yep. Cool stuff. And so now, um, in in honor of Nate, Seth, what do you have this week to lower my productivity, thus making you look like a better hiring option? Okay, this is six reasons bacon is better than true love. It's on the oatmeal, so it's a little saucy, but you can scroll through and read six reasons why bacon is better than love or a girlfriend or whatever you substitute for either of those. So anyway, I'm trying to up the bake up the bacon content because, you know, let's face it, bacon does make the world go round. And it takes money to buy the bacon to make the world go around. Um, anyway, you can go and read them at your leisure. And who knows? It might be tagged NSFF. So if, you, um, if you're if you getting fired, just be sure to shoot me an email on your way out the door so I'll know it's in my <laughs> resume. Uh, reason number two. Bacon you can keep in the fridge. True love, you cannot. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love Matthew Inman. Um but yes, he does get uh, a little uh, a little adult sometimes. He's a truly twisted man. 
Um, so that's it. We we are done. Thank you for hanging out with us. I enjoyed this conversation, Joe. I apologize if you didn't, um, uh, listeners. I hope you did too. I hope you've. That's the reason you've stuck with us for uh, almost two hours now is because you enjoyed what we're doing. Um, and uh, you know, let us know what you think. Uh, let others know what you think. As always, a rating and review on uh, on whatever uh, podcast platform that you use would be great but whether we like it or not itunes is the not unofficial directory of the of podcast for the world so go over to itunes leave us a rating and review uh, let us know uh how we're doing and we appreciate that and uh guys as always you were awesome see you next week because that's it for this episode of the geek Crew.